All right. Good morning. We're starting a new series today on parenting, real-world parenting. You know, a lot of times you'll read uh, parenting books, and these parenting books are written in the 1970s, the 1980s. There's just so much going on today that was not going on 30 to 40 years ago that not to make these books obsolete because it comes down to certain truths, certain um, philosophies will stand the test of time. That there are, there are truths in the Bible, obviously, that have lasted thousands of years. That it doesn't matter when you began applying these truths, whether in the 1900s or the first century AD, uh, there are truths that will be helpful no matter what generation is applying them. But a lot of parenting books go above and beyond just the truths, and they give experiences, they give uh, philosophies, they give ideas on how to work with children of that day, and that just does not apply well for 2022. And so the Lord laid in my heart to, uh, first of all, break up the group. We have some uh, senior saints in our group, and they starting their own group now with Sam Giovanni starting back up that group. It had been up and running before COVID, some things happened, so they're meeting again, covering some topics that apply more to their age group, and in this room, we're going to be talking about parenting. Now, this can be applicable whether you are a parent or a grandparent. It can be applicable if in any way you work with children uh, in a school setting, in a life group, Sunday school setting. If you are an aunt or an uncle, uh, this, this is going to be helpful to you. But obviously, the main thrust of this series is to assist those who are actually parenting children. Those who have children in their home, that is the main idea that I have when I am preparing the lessons for this group. So let's go ahead and begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 6. And you'll find this common, very famous passage in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, we're going to be looking at a lot of different parts to parenting, uh, beginning with you. If you are the parent, we've got to start with you. We're not going to start with children. We're not going to start with the styles of parenting. We're not going to start with the uh, various philosophies. Ladies, there's a, there's a seniors group meeting in the learning coach room. I think that um, June would appreciate more than our parenting group. You're welcome to keep her here, but we have a seniors group meeting now going forward in the learning coach room. So, let's start with you, because that's, I think, where a lot of parents get it wrong. They say, tell me how I can raise my children to love God. I've had parents actually come to me and say, counsel my children and tell them to obey me. Essentially, a lot of parents think the problem is only with the child. Obviously, children have problems, so do we all. But ultimately, the foundation of strong parenting begins with the parent, not with the child. The burden of wisdom and knowledge lands squarely on the adult, not the child. It is the adult's job to train the child, not for the child to come readily trained. We purchased a puppy two years ago. His name is Toby. 
And Toby's a little uh, Maltese, cute little guy. We got him when he was about, I want to say, four to five months old, if, I, if my memory serves correctly. He was months old, not weeks old when we got him. But Toby was not trained when we got Toby. For, for whatever reason, the original person that had him, I, I assume all they did was just keep Toby alive. Toby just got to be around his mommy and be a little puppy around his mommy and eat when he was hungry and play when he was feisty and sleep when he was tired. There was obviously no training whatsoever in Toby's life when we received Toby. And like all little untrained puppies, they love to play, they love to eat, they love to sleep, they do not love to listen. Their attention span is short at best. And we had to recognize that Toby came to us untrained and it was our job to train him. So we did. Took about six to eight months to really train our puppy to, first of all, stop peeing on everything in the house, to stop, you know, using the bathroom whenever he felt it was necessary, sometimes even when it was unnecessary for whatever little puppy reason that he had. We had to train Toby to come to us when he calls, and now he does. That did not happen overnight. That did not happen because Toby was a good dog. It happened because we were purposeful. We had to go into that puppy ownership with the mindset of we are the trainers and Toby is the puppy. Now, let me back up some years before. We had purchased another dog, little Yorkie named Charlie. I was too busy at, my time, at, my, at that point in my life, and I told my wife, honey, if you want a Yorkie, and she did, I said, first of all, you got to understand, Yorkies are very energetic dogs, extremely so. She'd never had a Yorkie before. She didn't know that. I have had Yorkies in my life uh, through friends and other things. I knew Yorkies were very energetic to say it lightly. And I said, you will have to train Charlie. If you don't, he'll be a terror. My wife said, yeah, I mean, I'll train him. Unfortunately, my wife didn't realize what that meant, how much training a puppy, specifically a Yorkie, needs. And within three months, my wife came to me and said, Russ, we got to get rid of this dog. He's driving me crazy. She said, I'm not equipped right now. We had, uh, you know, young children. She was teaching, working in our, our I think it was in um, the preschool at the time. And she says, look, I I'm not ready for this dog. Let's, let's, while the dog is still cute and small, let's find someone who wants a cute, small Yorkie and can help this dog. So we did. We found a young college girl, unmarried, very few responsibilities aside from college in her life, and she wanted a Yorkie, so we gave her. She got Charlie and uh, loved him dearly, and I'm sure he's having a great life right now. Here's the thing about babies. It doesn't work like that, does it? You can't say, oops. This baby is more than I bargained for. Maybe I can find someone to take, to take my baby and start again with someone else, you know, some other baby down the road. It just doesn't work that way. Humans are not puppies. And so it is so very important that we as parents recognize there is no do-overs when it comes to our children. There is no, you know what, let's rehome the puppy and... Uh, Hopefully, someone else can help my puppy when I could not. When it comes to parenting, if you are not prepared to be a parent, if you are not prepared for what is coming, your child will suffer. Now, let me tell you this. Your child will not be the only one to suffer because as your child suffers, you will suffer. In more ways than one, you will suffer because it will break your heart to see your child suffer. You will suffer because your child in their suffering will make you pay. And you will suffer. You will suffer because you, knew you, you know you have wronged your child. 
I'm going to open it up for questions at the end. Yep. There are many reasons why you will suffer, but let me tell you, you will suffer. And so it is very, very important that we as parents recognize the high calling that we have in this life. Calling to parenthood. And so as I stated when we began, parenting starts with you. So let's talk about the three ways that parenting begins with you. We'll start this morning with the parent's condition, the state of mind that you find yourself in, the state of spiritual condition, the emotional state, and the relational state that you need to place yourself in. I don't think we're going to get to all three of these um, conditions of a parent. We definitely will not get through the, the first section. If, if this was a book, this would be chapter one. The Parenting begins with you as chapter one. We're not, we're not even going to get through halfway of chapter one if this was a book. But parenting does begin with you. Parenting starts with you. Are you ready and prepared for the calling that God has placed in your life of a parent? Three areas that you need to recognize parents need to be conditioned and prepared. The first one is the spiritual condition. That's why we started with Ephesians chapter 6. Talking about the armor of God. So if you have the handout, you can see here where it says spiritual. We cannot lead our children towards spiritual success if we have not first discovered it. I have known a lot of children who come from Christian homes, and they have rejected the faith. Why? Well, just because the parent is a Christian doesn't mean the child will accept that faith. But I think there's a bigger, bigger reason why a lot of children reject the faith of their parents. And it's not because the parents were hypocrites. That does happen, and that would be a reason. I don't believe that's always the case. I think there's a lot of other factors, and I cannot mention all of them in one sitting. I can't know all of the factors of every reason why every child would turn their back on the faith, but I can tell you some very common factors. Of course, one is the hypocrisy of the parents' faith, obviously. But let's set that aside. I don't think that happens nearly as much as we may claim it does. Here's what I believe happens. I believe that a lot of times, children, they are not given a deep understanding of the faith. It it rests on a surface level. And so they grow up as children okay with the surface level of faith because they go to church, fun Sunday school classroom, and games, and the stories are cool, Jonah and the whale, but they never really go deep in their faith. And since they don't go deep, they are ripe for deception. I'm not saying the parents' hypocrisy is not a factor, it is, but I think a bigger factor is the deception outside the home. That is, I believe, a bigger factor in many young children, the deception outside the home. The school they go to, Christian or public, there's deception. Even Christian schools have deception. Why? Because there's kids there that go that aren't saved, and those kids have brought deception into the school. Well, I wish we could have a school where there was no deception. Let's have the homeschool only. And that's, by the way, you're less likely to have deception if it's homeschooled unless you brought it in. But you know what I find homeschools have? Co-ops. You're right back to the original scenario again. You got potential for deception in those co-ops. Well, I won't do a co-op then. We'll just have homeschool with our kids at our home only. Okay, are they ever leaving the house? Yes. Well, then there's potential for deception every time they leave their house, okay? You can't eliminate 
deception outside the home if you ever take the kid outside the home. And you know what really cracks me up? Parents who want to eliminate deception but then allow the world into the home. I mean, come on, what are you doing? TV, internet, uh, social media, cell phones, tablets. So I'm not saying TV and internet is evil. It can be evil. I'm not saying that, that as a parent allowing those in our homes will destroy our children. I'm just pointing out, if you're so concerned about deception and yet giving your child free access to the world to come into your home, you're right back at square one again. So here's the real truth we need to grasp as parents. You cannot and you will not eliminate all sources of deception in your child's life. It's not going to happen. You'd have to lock him in a room and never let him out, and then we got a, a whole different problem altogether, if that's what you're doing, right? A bigger problem in my head than deception, because that, that child will be raised real messed up, obviously. So, if you're going to raise your child to be an adult in this world, to be in the world but not of the world, they're going to be confronted with deception. You must accept that fact. That does not mean they have to be showered with deception. Obviously, you can limit the amount of deception, but they are going to be confronted with it. And the older they get, the more deception they will see. The more deception they'll be confronted with, but also the more likely they are to see deception for what it is. And that's when it really starts damaging them. So what's the real answer? Yes, limit deception, definitely. But the real answer, folks, is this. Train your child to go deep into truth. Because a child who's not deep in the truth of God's word is a child easily deceived. And I believe that is the bigger problem. A lot of parents think, because I bring my child to a church on Sunday, because my child goes to a Christian school, they're great. They're set up for success. No, they're not. Well, the Christian school surely is going deep. Yeah, I, I would hope they are. doesn't mean the child's going deep with them. I can't tell you how many times as a Bible teacher I've taught and the kids are, you know, glazed eyes, some sleeping. Just because your child's at a school and there is a Bible class doesn't mean they're going deep. Ultimately, whose job is it to make sure the child, you might say, can swim in the deep end? Whose job is that? Yours, the parents. Whose job is it to make sure the child can dive in the deep end? Yours, the parents. The Christian school is just providing the deep end for your child. It's up to you and the child to take, deep, take that opportunity and go deep. The church, I hope, the life groups and the Bible studies and the youth groups, I hope, are providing the opportunity for a deep end, you might say, of truth. It's your job as the parent to make sure they go deep. In my experience, teenagers, children who go deep into truth are less likely to run from it when they become an adult. And that is the key, parents. There it is. It's not more church. It's not more Christian music. It's not even more devotions, family devotions. It's not more of those things. It is deeper of those things. Your child is better served coming to one church service a week going deep than they are four shallow. Your child is better served with one family devotion, one a week deep, than they are seven shallow. 
invest in the quality of the spiritual condition of your child. And don't fret so much about quantity. But a lot of parents don't know that. A lot of parents don't see that. A lot of parents are very, very upset and perplexed when their adult children turn their back on the faith. They weren't told this truth. They didn't know this truth. How could they not know it? Well, because we've got a lot of parents who are trying to guide their children towards spiritual success when they themselves have not embraced it. A lot of adults, a lot of parents are also swimming on the shallow end of their spiritual condition. A lot of parents are also drinking milk when they should be eating meat. A lot of parents are also having to learn the first things over and over and over again instead of learning the deeper truths of God's word. A lot of parents are still struggling with their own salvation. Am I saved? They're not even close to how do I take my salvation to the world. That scares the living daylights out of them. That's shallow. You can't teach a child to swim in the deep end if you don't know how to yourself. Now, someone else can. I knew a a man one time. This was years ago. Godly man. Served God with his life, not in full-time ministry, but, I mean, pretty close to it. He was at church every time the doors were open. Had children actively involved. To this day, still is, by the way. Still is. Older than me. His family was a wreck. His dad was abusive, unsaved parents, chaos, complete chaos that he grew up in. But you know what happened? Someone picked him up on a bus, took him to church. Someone else who was deep in the Word of God took him deep. And he grew up every day surrounded by chaos, every day, every week surrounded by abuse, went to a public school, went to a public university, and came out strong for the Lord. Why? Because someone took him deep. It wasn't his dad. It wasn't his mom. In fact, it was only after he started serving God with his life as an adult that his mom started coming around, and she got saved. He led her to the Lord. She didn't lead him to the Lord. I don't know that his dad ever got saved. So I'm not telling you that a child is doomed because the parents aren't deep. I'm telling you someone's got to take them deep. If not you, someone else, but it should be you. You need to be the one. It is your responsibility to take your children deep into truth. And if you don't, you're not guaranteed someone else will. For this young man that I knew, he's no, I mean, young, he's older than me. For this man that I knew, someone did take him deep. Praise the Lord for him. But your children aren't guaranteed that if you don't do it. So will you take them deep? You got to go deep yourself first, right? Let's look at the next point here. Under our spiritual condition. Not every battle is a spiritual one, but every battle affects our spiritual condition. You know, I've known some parents who believe literally like there's a demon behind every corner. There's a demon in, in every movie that they bring home. They've got to pray out the demons. They've got to pray the demons out of their house, pray the demons out of their room. I knew a parent one time. The daughter started uh, sassing the dad. The dad literally put his hands in her and was trying to pray the demons out of her. This is a real story. How do you think that Help, help, uh, how, the, how do you think the daughter felt after that? She was pretty upset. I mean, this girl was like 13 or 14, and her dad's trying to pray demons out of her because she sassed him. There are some who think that every single thing, every problem has a demon behind it. That's not true. You know what the book of James tells us? That we are drawn away of our own lusts. 
that when we sin, it's because we lusted, our flesh wanted something, and it drew us away from God, and it was our own desires that drew us away, not the demons. Now, there are doctrines of demons. There are doctrines of devils. We're told that. I believe that more often than not, a demon is not going to affect you directly, probably more indirectly, in the sense of uh, demonic teachings have been established in the world of dishonoring parents, disobedience, rebellion. These teachings have been established, and now the demons are just letting the teaching do what it does, <laughs> deceive people. Not that demons don't directly attack people. I'm sure they do. I know that they do. Not that they don't directly possess people. I know that they do. I don't believe it's as, as quite often against Christians as a lot of Christians think it is. We've got the Holy Spirit. It's like the kid walking in the playground being a full of, uh, afraid of bullies when, when their dad is walking next to them. I, I don't see that being a problem. A child on their own, sure, bullies will probably see them as, as easy meat, right? <laughs> Your dad's walking next to you unless he's a complete wimp. I think the bullies are going to leave you alone. I think the 8-year-old bullies are going to leave the 8-year-old alone when the 38-year-old dad, ripped, is walking next to the son or daughter. So this idea that demons are attacking us all the time when our dad is walking next to us, he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that's just foolishness. It's not demonic. It is a spiritual battle. But the spiritual battle is more so against our own flesh than when that we're fighting demons. So not everything that we confront is, is spiritual in the sense of demonic or has some kind of spiritual um, element to it, but everything that we go through does in some way affect, good or bad, our spiritual condition. The choices you make affect the direction you're going. And the direction you're going affects the relationship with God. Are you walking towards God or away from God? And so, see, we are spiritual beings. We are eternal beings in the sense of we were created mortal, that we had a beginning, but there is no ending for us. We, we will continue on. Not eternal past, eternal future. Our soul and our spirit will continue on eternally, either in heaven or hell. So we, there is a spiritual side to us, and our spiritual side cannot be separated from every other part of us. It, it's infused. And when you recognize that about yourself, you can help your child recognize that about them. Well, Mom, Dad, I'm not called to be a pastor, so I don't need to go to a Christian college. What are you talking about? I mean, are you a Christian? Are you a spiritual being? Then your Christianity is important, whether you're called to be a full-time pastor, missionary, teacher, evangelist, or not. You are a spiritual being. If a child doesn't realize that, I'm very, very concerned for them. When a teenager doesn't realize that, I pretty much can assume... I think very safely, they're in for a rough ride. Their life will not go well for them if they have in their head come to the conclusion that I am not spiritual. <laughs> there is no spiritual side to me. Oh, man, that's going to be very unpleasant for you because you are spiritual, and when you neglect the spiritual side, then you can only expect pain and suffering, spiritual pain and spiritual suffering. And you know what the Bible tells us in Proverbs? That, you know, when it, when it talks about how we feel uh, and, how, and things that go on in our lives, um, the anxiety and, and the discouragement and anger, all these things, they affect how we feel physically. And someone who rejects the spiritual side altogether is going to, I think, going to suffer physically more because your body is going to react to the spiritual pain that you're going through. You want to help your children? 
help them realize they're a spiritual being, that there is a spirit attached to them, and essentially not attached. That's who they are. They, they are spirit more than anything else. This body's going to die, fade, rot. The spirit will continue on. It is not they are a body first and spirit second. They are a spirit first, body second. Now, some separate the spirit and soul. I actually do myself. I would say spirit and soul very closely together. But, but when we talk about spirit, the soul being your consciousness, uh, who you are, character, personality, your spirit is the eternal side of you. Those don't separate. Those stay together. The body's left behind. And yet for so many children and teenagers, what do they evaluate first? What do they care about most? What do they look at first in themselves and others? The body. Why? Someone trained them to do that. Who? Well, I wonder who that could have been. I wonder who could have trained our children to think about the body before the spirit. Hmm, who could that possibly be? Could it be us? Well, no, I never told them that. You know, by not training them to look at the spirit, you are training them to look at the body. Because the body is what they see. The body is what they feel. The body is what they experience. So if you are not proactively training your child to recognize this important truth, they are spiritual, then by default, you are training them to embrace the lie that they are only or mostly physical. The physical part of their body is the least important part of who they are. How they look, least important. How they dress, least important. And now let's talk about that. You say, Pastor Russ, I never taught them that the body was so important. No, but you did teach them that if they don't go to church dressed a certain way, God doesn't care about them. God's upset with them. You did teach them that. And so now in a way, you've taught them the body's more important. You did teach them that if their hair doesn't look the way your hair looks, you did teach them that if the hair isn't designed the way it was designed when you were young and the culture you grew up with, that's the only good way to do a haircut, right? The way I cut my hair, not the way my grandparents did, the way I did. That's the only proper biblical way to cut hair. You taught them that to cut their hair any way other than that is wrong. We focus so much on the physical. Why are we shocked when that's what kids focus on? And then we allow others to teach them the same through social media, through movies, through magazines. We allow others to influence them towards the physical. I like to buy my children nice clothes. I will never, ever purposefully, even if I had the money, I wouldn't be buying my kids $200 suits. That's ridiculous to me. Ridiculous. I'm not saying you're a sinner for doing it. I'm saying watch out what you're training your children. Consider what you are training them when you spend so much money. I Look, I get the quality of clothing for an adult. I get that. Here's the thing about kids. They don't necessarily take advantage of the quality. They're looking at the name brand, okay? There's a difference. I have spent $200 on shoes for me because I wanted quality shoes that didn't fall apart. And so I was looking at an investment, all right? Do I buy $50 shoes, you know, four times in three years? Do I buy $200 shoes and not have to buy another one in five years, right? So it's an investment. Kids aren't thinking that way. When you're spending that kind of money on kids, you're just training them to, to show off. Because I'll tell you this. Spend $200 on a, on a non-brand um, shoe or a shoe that no one recognizes, your kid probably won't want it as much because they want the brand. A lot of kids do, shoes and clothes, because they want to show off. So we need to be careful not to be training our children to think physically first. You're concerned for your children's future? Here's, my, here's a great piece of advice. We already started. If you can help your kid go deep spiritually, 
If you can go deep and help them go deep. And now the second thing, if you can help them consider the world as a spiritual and help them consider themselves as spiritual, you are well on your way. If you don't do anything else, if you don't come to any more life groups on parenting, you can mess up in so many other ways. And if you get these two things right, I mean, we're starting strong here, guys. You get these two things right, your kid is well on their way to success. Just those two things. Taking them deep spiritually and training them to think spiritually, not physically, the world is going to have a really difficult time winning them over. Very. Not that it can't be done. It can. It won't be easy. It, it concerns me how easy it is for the world to win our children over to their side. How quickly that happens. As I said, they're in the shallow end. They're snatched up easily. They're thinking physically, not spiritually. They're easily deceived and destroyed. But can you help them consider the spiritual when you yourself don't consider the spiritual? And every big decision, even every moderate decision we make, affects our spiritual condition. Train your children to think that way. Spiritual battles are not won through a great offense, but rather a great defense. Well, that doesn't sound too fun, does it? No one likes to play a game and just play defense the whole time. You want to score the points. Great deception of Satan, by the way. Satan wants us to think of our life like a basketball game. The more points we score, the better off we are. As long as I score more points than the enemy, I'm going to heaven. That's, you know, essentially breaking it down metaphorically how many religions work, right? Score more points than the enemy. Do more good than bad. Great deception. Okay, if you've, if you've overcome that deception, you realize the foolishness of that metaphor and that statement, and you realize I'm only going to heaven because God has saved me. There's still a deception attached to this idea that what? Well, a lot of teens, a lot of children haven't been taught otherwise. They just grow up thinking that the way you win at life is by overcoming in the sense of defeating over and over again, defeating Satan, defeating demons, uh, you know, overly spiritualized again. Like you're you know, you're, you're going to win the spiritual battle by conquering Satan. And yet I don't see in Scripture where we are conquering Satan. I see where we wrestle against spiritual conditions, but as I've already stated in James, most of that wrestling is wrestling with our own flesh, not Satan, not his demons. Who is the conqueror of Satan? Not your child, Christ. Who is the conqueror of the demons? Not your child, Christ. Even Christ, when he said, you know, to cast out demons was to do so through prayer and fasting and essentially in his name. And that's what the Apostle Paul did, was cast out demons in the name of Christ. And when some chose to cast out demons in their own pride, the demon, the demonic-possessed individual, attacked them. We will not conquer Satan. And if you have trained your child to think they can, you are training them to go up against an enemy they will not defeat. Our goal, our job, is to play a strong defense and let the conqueror do his thing. Let Jesus conquer Satan on our behalf. Let Jesus conquer those demons on our behalf, if there are demons 
Let him do the conquering. We do the defending. We're the defense. Stop thinking basketball and start thinking football. There is the defensive line and the offensive line. You're not on the offensive line. You're on the defensive line. Ephesians chapter 6 is a bunch of armor. The sword is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're right back to Christ again. That essentially, if you're going to do any attacking, you're basically saying, I'm calling in the offensive line. Here's Christ. I'm going to let Christ take it from here. I'm going to go back to defense again. (laughs) Christ is the offensive line. Christ is the one doing the attacking. And any attacking you have, you are just bringing out the big guns. Christ. The Bible. And yet too many parents... They think they're training warriors. I I say the same. I'm training warriors. But they think they're training warriors to attack the world. No, we should be training warriors to defend. And then let Christ do what he does. Look at the armor of God. Breastplate of righteousness. Shield of faith. Shoes of the gospel of peace. Helmet of salvation, right? The, The armor of God as least uh, the things that we're responsible for, are all defensive. The only piece that is offense, we're not responsible for. It's the Word of God. Christ is responsible for the Word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it pierces asunder the heart of man. That is God's job, not our job, to pierce the heart of man. We're not wielding the Word of God outside of Christ's will, We're just holding it and letting the Word of God do what it does. Train your children to defend against the wiles of the devil. Train your children to defend against the deception, the lies of the world. I cannot, I've lost count. Not that I ever did, but I can't in my head count how many parents I've talked to or who have the belief that their children are missionaries. And they send their little missionary children out into the world to reach the lost. I have many concerns with that philosophy. The first one is this. A child is a child and has not had enough time to be trained on how to be an effective missionary. You know who has? They're teachers, and their teachers are missionaries, but missionaries are something altogether different than God's Word. You are pitting your children, untrained, against trained adult missionaries for a different faith altogether. And don't think that these missionaries are only in public schools. They're everywhere. Just like Christians are full-time Christians, and they take their full-time Christian faith into the workplace. They take their full-time Christian faith wherever they go. They should be. So does the world. They're They're not any different. Well, you, th- you think that, that, that we Christians have a mono- monopoly on, on uh, taking our faith wherever we go? <laughs> no, everyone, everyone who has a deep faith, a deep belief, you, they, they will not be separated from that belief, which means someone who be- believes very strongly and deeply about LGBTQ and is a coach, you better believe they will take an opportunity and advantage of that opportunity to impart that belief system on your child during practice. I'm not saying that they will churn practice into an instructional time. 
even a Christian coach, isn't going to turn practice into an instructional time. But eventually, you're going to recognize, man, something's different about that coach. He or she, you know, they keep talking about God. They talk about faith. They, they present themselves in a certain way. And that you, your hope as a Christian is what? To influence the team. That's your hope. And by the way, that's a valid hope because that's usually what happens. You live out your faith, and there is influence. Well, what about someone who doesn't have faith or has faith in the wrong thing, and they live out their belief system? You don't think there's going to be influence there? The world has its missionaries. We have ours. Some are full-time teachers. Some are not. But we put our children in positions, and we say, well, I want my child to be a missionary to their baseball team, soccer team, basketball team. What are you doing? I, I have considered, if my child was going to be on a sports team, I'm coaching. Even at a Christian school, I'm, I'm like, you know, if I don't know the coach very well, I'm coaching, just for me, for my opinion. And that's what I've been doing. If I had my child on in a, in a, in a team that was not in church, you better believe I'm going to coach or assistant coach. Well, I sit on the stands. That's better than nothing. And if that's all you can do, then, that's, then you better be there every time your child's around another adult. One of you better be there because the world has its missionaries and your child is not prepared to be one of them. Children are children. We need to train our children to defend against the world's missionaries, not to attack them. And a lot of parents miss that step. And a lot of parents are shocked when the world's missionaries win their children over. We're preparing for a great defense, parents, not a great offense. Our offense is to let Christ be Christ. Our defense is to not not let the world deceive us or our families. And then I see here, under our spiritual condition, spiritual strength lays the foundation for victory in all other areas of life, including parenting. When you look at the Word of God, there are so many passages that talk about getting to success, especially in the book of Proverbs. And you're going to find attached to those passages are a few things. Number one, wisdom. Knowing right, following right. Yeah? Jesus Christ, parable of the the house on the sand, house on the rock, knowing and doing right. The book of Proverbs, um, companion of fools will be destroyed, companion of of wise men will find success, right? Paraphrasing, but uh, Old and New Testament both. Knowing what's right, doing what's right. That's a big one, wisdom. What else? Well, submission. Humility, another really big one. In the book of Old uh, Proverbs, again, pride, destruction, pride, destruction, pride, destruction. <laughs> humility, success, humility, lifted up. Humility, God's grace and God's mercy on our lives. So wisdom and humility. Now, there are others. You could say, well, what about knowing Christ? Well, that's going to fall under wisdom. What about following Christ? Well, again, that's going to fall under wisdom because wisdom is knowing truth and following truth. So being a disciple of Christ, knowing Christ, obeying Christ, that's all wisdom. Humility, like, covers everything else. So there are other things, and I'll mention only one more. The one Christ mentioned, and that's love, through number three. Love, the greatest commandment, right? The one that when people see that, they will say, you are a Christian, you are a follower of God because I see your love. All right, so between these three, between these three spiritual choices, wisdom, humility, and love, you are guaranteed success. 
guaranteed it. How? Well, if love is the greatest commandment, then that's the one we should focus on most. If God promises that humility will result in you being honored, and literally, the Bible says, lifted up by God, and if you remain humble, God will shower you with grace and mercy, I don't see how you can't have success. And if you've got wisdom, you know truth and follow it, and Christ said you will be the house on the stone, not that there won't be wind and rain beating against you, but it will not destroy you, that is success. Folks, if you are not finding success as parents, you are lacking one or all three of the three things that I just mentioned. You have been or are lacking wisdom. You have been or are lacking humility. You have been or are lacking love. Because if you had all three of those, you would be successful as a parent. Let me describe success as a parent. That does not mean all of your kids will be perfect. It means you will know you are doing what's right by your children, and now the rest is up to God and them. But you're not getting in the way. The most successful of parents doesn't guarantee a successful child, but it sets them up for success. And a successful parent doesn't get in the way of God. Your child will still have to make their choices, but you will not hinder those choices. You will encourage those choices. And I got to tell you, the world's going to have a very hard time snatching your child from God and the faith when you are a successful parent. It can be done extremely hard. The world has it much easier when you're a train wreck, when your parenting's falling apart. It's easy to win over children. The children can't wait to get away. Are you humble parents? Do you love God? First Corinthians 13 kind of love your, your kids and the world. Do you love everyone that God's brought in your life, truly? And do you have wisdom? How do we gain wisdom? You gain wisdom by praying for it. You gain wisdom by searching for it. Not just in Scripture. Search for it in the experiences that God allows in your life. Search for it in the friendships and relationships that God has brought in your life. Search for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. You'll get it. How do you gain humility? The Bible says to bring ourselves down, to lower ourselves. What is humility? Humility is others first, me last. Humility is not they're better than me. Humility is I'm going to place them as a priority over me. That's humility. You got to make that decision for yourself. And love? How do you gain love? Really hard to love when you're prideful. Gain humility, love comes a whole lot easier. But I'll tell you this, love God and you will love people a whole lot easier. How do I love God? Understand how much God loves you. The more you know how much God loves you, the easier it is to return that love. The more you love God, the easier it is to give that love to others. And now you've attained loved. You've attained love. So parents, we have just scratched the surface of this life group, of real-world parenting, real-world parenting, just the surface. As I said, if, uh, if this was a chapter, we would have just gotten into the first part of chapter one. I've got 12 chapters that I want to cover with you on real-world parenting. Everything as practical, I hope, as you saw from this morning. This will easily be an eight-month-plus series. And as I stated, although my goal is to talk to parents in this room, 
grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, anyone working with children, this is a valuable series for you as well. But you've got to make the decision if you want to stick it through. We're going to cover a lot, but it starts with you. Let's pray.